Hello, and welcome to High Tea Obsessed. I'm your host, Thomas Boomhauer, and today, I'm calling an audible. Wait a minute, that's not the right sport. So, I know I said, you know, probably gonna do the NBA-type content, Tim Donahue scandal, maybe some other conspiracy, uh, NBA-related conspiracies in general, stuff of that nature, but... I think, like I said before, I'm going to have to do that in a longer type of series. Maybe a three-episode, it feels like. Three episodes, like, encapsulation of that saga. Probably release that, like, right before the NBA season. Do, like, maybe a ramp-up to the NBA season in October, something like that. But I'm also not going to be doing that NBA conspiracies in general. Maybe, again, I'll revisit that in October. Do, like, a big lead-up. But it just didn't, you know, like, we're in the NBA offseason. Didn't feel like the right time to do it. So today what we're going to be doing is talking about the Hopkinsville encounter, also called the Kelly Hopkinsville encounter. Because Saturday the 21st marked the 66th, 66th, can't really say that, but uh, 66th anniversary of this formative event in ufology and the study of aliens. So this case typically thought to be debunked by skeptics and even some believers in the paranormal. But it's still important to talk about for a few reasons. You know, it's had a cultural imprint, which we're going to talk about more later. And it is still used um, as an example of, like, fringe studies that st- um, students in fields like anthropology, archaeology, science, stuff like that, like, hey... These are the type of stories that are out there. You have to be able to discern this is fiction. Other stories are real. So, like, use as an example in teaching how to study history and stuff like that, which is interesting. But before we dive all the way into the Hopkinsville encounter, we're going to do a little bit of news. So probably the biggest thing in terms of, like, the type of news I like to cover on here, the type of stuff I like to talk about with you guys, is that the No Way Home... The new Spider-Man, the trailer for that allegedly leaked, and it does seem to be genuine. It was like on a recording of a phone, recording a phone, and it was very blurry, very hard to make out, and seemed to have unfinished effects and represent new footage. It didn't really have any quotes we've heard these characters say before, and you haven't seen it for yourself. You can probably still find it somewhere out there, and I don't want to spoil anything i know some people are team no hype don't like to watch trailers at all so i'm just gonna say it looks like they're doing something different than most people anticipated and definitely different than what i thought was gonna happen and i'm really excited to see how it turns out keeping in with the mcu news it was reported over the weekend that uh chris pine aka steve trevor in the wonder woman movies aka captain james t kirk in the star trek reboots from like 2009 and onward aka toby howard in 2016's hell or high water which you know that's that absolutely bangs if check that out if you like westerns if you like uh heist movies but anyway uh my guy chris pine who one of the actors that i i think is awesome like real funny real charismatic love to see him and things he reportedly met with kevin feige the dude behind and in charge of the MCU, 
and that they met to discuss a role for Pine going forward. So if you follow the pod on Instagram, which obviously I huge recommend, high key recommend that, I posted a little poll up. I was like, who do we want to see this guy play? Who do we get? We got Cyclops, Scott Summers, that kind of fits. You know, James Marsden played him in the early 2000s Deathsmen movie, so that could work. We got uh, Adam Warlock, which I think could be perfect because of the split personality. We get the charming, handsome uh, Chris Pine as Adam Warlock, and then we get evil, douchebag, conniving Chris Pine as Magus, or the Magus, maybe? I don't know how to say it, but that would be awesome. Someone said a multiversal Tony Stark, which I kind of like, but I, I love it, but I wanted him to be a bigger thing than a cameo. And my girlfriend said that she thought it'd be good if he was Peter Parker all grown up, and she didn't even know that he is Peter Parker all grown up in uh, Into the Spider-Verse movie, so that was funny. And, you know, that could be cool. That could be cool. Speaking of the Spider-Verse movie and the rumors that Tobey Maguire and Andrew Garfield are reprising their roles as Peter Parker in No Way Home, forget those guys. Like, I don't, I don't really care if we see them or not. Here's who I want to see. Hear me out. Peter B. Parker, a.k.a. Jake Johnson, a.k.a. Nick Miller from New Girl. Just Nicky be a Nicky? Just Nick Miller? And Spider-Man? That'd be sick. Moving on. Uh, Mike Richards, executive producer and recently appointed Jeopardy host, stepped down from the role after the ringer's Claire McNear published an expose on... I guess you would say it was, like, revealed general douchiness more than anything, like, super terrible. Like, just seemed like a dick and a bad guy, not necessarily, like, a beloved figure on the shows he's been on. And just revealed, like, some questionable comments not the best but not necessarily the worst but just a pattern of douchey behavior that we don't love and also he was not great as a guest host and also like kind of gave himself the job and people on the set didn't really seem to like him didn't seem to jive with him and that's one of america's iconic shows you know so like we want someone better than mike richards in that role as host in jeopardy because alex trebek was so incredible and no one's really gonna replace him so you know we want someone good kind of hemming like helming that project going forward so it was good to see him step down so now the big question is who's gonna host right gotta imagine that they're gonna go with a panel of guest hosts again they're on short notice and hopefully this time one will like separate themselves from the pack emerge as like a great permanent guest host right so ken jennings up there of course lavar burton um you know who wildcard patrick stewart maybe could be cool um, I would like to throw out Stone Cold Steve Austin as one. Maybe the guy from Hot Ones. Hmm, nah, I don't like that one as much. I'd like to throw out Stone Cold Steve Austin as <clears throat> as a surprise contestant. Like, they're all, you know, we're in double jeopardy. Do, 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 do. They're all writing all of a sudden. Glass breaks. Oh, God, it's Stone Cold Steve Austin. And he goes, and that's the bottom line. That was a not necessarily Steve Austin impression. But I don't know what happened. Anyway. Anyway, let's keep it going. Anyway, we all know that replacing Alex Trebek, no small task. It's it's a tall task, you could say. And while there's no shortage of possible replacements, here's an outlier candidate I'd like people to consider. His name is me, and I'd like to throw my name into the ring for consideration. What do we think about when you want, like, you're like, who's a good Jeopardy host? What do we want? We want someone who can have fun pump up the contestants a little bit, gas them up when they're down. 
but also they gotta be able to roast them a little bit. They miss something obvious. They all no answer on a sports question, pop culture thing that everyone should know. You just need someone to blast them a little bit, not too much, you know, just a little bit. Someone who seems smart, you know, on top of things, they know what they're doing. They're running the show. They're punctual. They got the thing going. They keep it going from A to B. Well, to toot my own horn a little bit here, not too much, but I think I didn't pull that off. So let's get out there. Let's get on the streets and Twitter and make me the host of Jeopardy. I think we can do it. I want to be clear, we do face maybe a little bit of competition on this front. Uh, Ryan Reynolds has thrown his support behind LeVar Burton, who is a very worthy host. But I think we can pull it off. I think we can get me as the host of Jeopardy. So let's try it out. Final piece of news I want to cover here today is that the NBA schedule was released. It dropped, and that's always met with a lot of fanfare every offseason. And I don't really get it. Because we know, you know, your team's going to play every team at least twice, some three times, some four times. So you're going to get a home, at least one home game, at least one away game with every team. It doesn't, I mean, I guess you want the good teams maybe later in the season. So that way your team is better. But other than that, I don't think it really matters a ton. I know the national TV games kind of matter. Especially if you live out of the region of your state. so like, Or you don't have cable or something, so you can only watch it on the big ones or something. But, I don't know, the main thing to me is the uh, the Christmas games, because who do, I love Christmas, of course, uh, and I love the NBA, so what I like to do, I wake up, am I in my PJs, open the presents, do that whole thing, get my breakfast in me, do my thing, uh, what's this? It's like 12 o'clock, noon, first NBA game is on, change into a fresh set of PJs, eat more, I'm watching basketball, I'm eating all day, and it's awesome. So, I was pumped up to see that the Nets and Lakers are playing. Love the Nets, always have. Uh, Don't like the Lakers, always haven't. So, seeing those two go at it, especially with their stat teams, going to be fun on Christmas. Last piece of news, not news news, but like homecoming, or homecoming, housekeeping. That's funny, I did put homecoming in the notes. NetSuite, put it in stone, NetSuite episode is an NFL season preview of sorts. Probably mostly going to focus on the Giants, but I'm hoping to get three brilliant guests lined up for you guys. We're going to be talking the Giants, maybe the Cowboys a little bit, and roasting the Eagles, of course. And then hopefully getting a third guest on to do a overall picture. And not, you know, we're not going to go too in-depth, we're not NFL analysts, this isn't our job. We're not super experts, but we're going to do, like, division winners, sat leaders maybe, and stuff like that, like playoff pitcher, stuff like that. Things we're, things we're looking at, things we got our eye on going into the season. Will it be good? Maybe. I think it's going to be funny and interesting at least. Will it be useful and insightful? Only time will tell, you know. I made NBA predictions on this pod. They were almost all wrong, like very wrong, so... Eh, we'll see, we'll see. Anyway, let's get into the Hopkinsville Encounter. The Hopkinsville Encounter, also called the Kelly Hopkinsville Encounter, encounter, occurred in Hopkinsville, Kentucky, which is located in the southwestern part of the state. At around 11 p.m., Several members of the Sutton family and, like, family friends of the Sutton family arrived 
at the police station in Hopkinsville, Kentucky. Allegedly, all members of the family that were there were out of breath and utterly terrified. You know, some parts of the story differ. It's like, were there eight people there? Were there 12 people? Were there 13? But the one thing that doesn't is that all everyone who arrived at the police station was shook up, like very scared, the kids, the adults, terrified, and all that good stuff. Officers at the station reported to a local newspaper later that the Sutton family arrived in two cars with at least five adults and several children, and they all appeared highly excited. And so that's not excited as we use it today, like all jazzed up, stoked about what they saw, but just like on edge, um, high strung, just like, you know, they got all their adrenaline up, basically. So the, the Sutton family and their extended friends um, recount to these officers a truly, truly, truly bizarre tale. They claim that at around 7 p.m. that evening, a spaceship landed near their tiny farm in the small hamlet of Kelly, Kentucky. So this farmhouse had no running water. So one member of the family, uh, it was a family friend, a Mr. Billy Ray Taylor, and he's out there, he's pumping a little water from the water pump, getting himself a drink, you know, it's Kentucky, hot. And he sees a, what he describes as a real bright spaceship with an exhaust all colors of the rainbow. And he says that it... Um, stopped on a dime, and then descended straight down near their little uh, farmhouse. Now, that's by itself pretty concerning. I don't want a spaceship landed near my home. I don't think many of us would, many of the listeners out there. If you would, get at me and let me know. But things only get weirder from there, which is, like, kind of out of line. So the Suttons would tell the police that for the next few hours, they kept the creatures at bay, firing at them whenever they got close, and just generally engaged in a skirmish with these bizarre creatures that were encroaching on them from the craft, like encroaching on their house, climbing all over it, stuff like that. And they just fought them off for, from like 7 until 11 when they arrived at the police station. So after seeing the spaceship, Billy Ray Taylor goes back into the house, and then the family is alerted to the presence of the creatures themselves by the barking of their dog. And it's just like yap, yap, yap. And they go out to shut it up, and they see the creature. Um, they saw an odd glow. In the middle of the glow, they saw a small humanoid creature. It was described as about three to three and a half feet tall with a large, almost perfectly round head, large arms that almost reached the ground, talons on the hands of the arms, and large eyes that glowed yellowish. Its feet and legs were like pretty atrophied and didn't seem to be useful, and they kind of like swayed. Uh, the witnesses also claimed that the body glowed with an eerie shimmer in the moonlight, almost as if though it was made of metal. As any God-fearing, gun-loving American would do, no questions asked, they just start popping off shots at the creature. One was using a 20-gauge shotgun, and the other was using a 22 rifle. And so they report that when they hit the creature, it, like, did a weird flip, and it made a metallic sound, like hitting the side of a barrel, hitting, like, a, a drum, something like that. So later... After they retreat inside, more creatures appear outside the window, and again, they're shot at. The creatures were apparently impervious to bullets. They did flips when hit, otherwise seemed okay. They kind of, like, would float down. If, like, one was in a tree that got shot, and it floated down. It didn't, like, die and drop down or get hurt, really. Events pretty much escalated from there with... So, they, there's one perched up in a tree. They shoot at it. It, like, falls from the tree, floats down. 
and they go to check on it more, like drive him out. And the guy steps on the porch, and a creature reaches down, apparently grabs it with the claw, grabs his head. And so they just spray and pray up at the roof. Uh, so then from there, they're like, you know, they're in their house. And just spraying, whenever they see a creature, they're shooting at it. And they hear occasional scratches on the roof, so apparently the creatures are like, climbing all around the roof of the walls outside. And getting shot at, like, whenever they popped their head out and were visible. So the police were rightfully concerned that this was just some weird local skirmish between these uh, hits out in the country. And so they go out there, they're like, we gotta stop this firefight that's going on between locals. And, you know, Kentucky does have a history of family feuds, locals getting in and at it, at, uh, shooting at each other, killing each other. Because, of course, the Hatfield, uh, Hatfield-McCoy feud occurred in the Kentucky-West Virginia border area. Anyway, so the police head out to the farm, fearing that there would be the shootout going on between these civilians. And at this point, I think we should talk about the Sutton family farm a little bit. So this isn't some big, like, large plantation-style thing with, like, all these houses, all these different properties, manor-style home. It was, like, a pretty small house, three rooms, unpainted, like, no beauty, unfurnished. These weren't people... So, like, when I looked at this, small house, so they're, like, lately poor Farmers just, like, farm to make a living. Um, not painted, maybe, you know, not too imaginative, could mean. Could just also speak to their poverty again. Uh, house had no one running water, like I said. There's no TV, no radio in the home, and they didn't even have any books. And in addition, the matriarch of the family banned alcohol from the house. Which is important, kind of, later. Um, so anyway, like I said, the the police officers are fearing a local family feud, general gun violence, they call for backup, and they're joined at the scene by, so they got the local police, they got state police, and then uh, county sheriff show up. And those all make sense, right? We got weird jurisdictional stuff going on, it's like in between two towns, kind of nearer one than the other, and, you know, gotta get the stadies involved. But local military police from a local airfield base, also Air Force base, also showed up. So that's a little bit interesting. So the police and a local f- uh, photographer for the paper found evidence of the shooting. So, like, there were bullets fired at this house. in this house. There was hundreds of shell casings, damage to the home from gunshots. And, like, they could tell that th- like there was a lot of stuff pressed down outside from, like, stuff running about. No way to know what it was, but there was, like, grass pressed down. And there was, like, a weird glowing... Uh, thing by one of the fences which uh, has later been claimed to be meet the description of a local type of moss that can glow but so like no evidence was collected of that at the time so you know there's no like there's no physical evidence of aliens there's just like something was going on again could have just been animals or people that they were shooting at we don't really know so the police leave and the family claims that Later that evening, after they had left, around 2.30, uh, maybe 3 in the morning, they came back, and they fought the creatures again, and that they left finally around dawn. So in the following weeks, naturally, hysteria ensues, right? People go crazy about this story. Newspapers, both far and wide, local and national, run with it immediately. The family and the fam- like the family friends that were there t- catch a lot of flack in town. They eventually all have to move. 
And over time, the headlines from the newspapers, they become a twist that they get manipulated. So it goes from little man-like aliens, little men, um, stuff like that, to little green men, which is a phrase that kind of perpetuates to this day. And the description of small humanoid aliens with large round heads, that's basically the typical alien description that we get today. So like I said, this um, encounter, this incident, is very instrumental in ufology lore to this day. And the family themselves, they never said little green men. So it's just like the newspaper warping stuff over time. Uh, the farm itself became a hotbed for activity with people traipsing up and down, trespassing, trying to find evidence, trying to get sightings of these aliens for themselves. And so eventually, you know, the first at first the family tried to keep them out. They have the no trespassing signs. They're like, just stay away, leave us alone. They put signs up, like I said. Um, but that doesn't work. So then they tried cashing in and charging people to come visit. And it was like 50 cents for entering the grounds, $1 if they if you gave them, if they gave you a little bit of information, and it was $10 to take pictures. So, of course, at this point, skeptics are like, okay, we already thought that this was a hoax, that they were making it up, that they wanted publicity, they wanted, like, XYZ, and now they're absolutely convinced it was a money-making scheme. But we don't really, like, these people aren't famous uh, you have to date to find their names, and that's why I'm not really using them. They don't really matter. Um, and if they're not rich, the family's not rich off of this. They tried a little, making a little bit of money off it, didn't really pan out, and like I said, they ended up moving. Despite the skeptics, the case has remained important for several reasons. We've got the little green men thing going on. Also, the Hops, Hopkinsville goblins, which have inspired some like role-playing game creatures, some uh, a play in Chicago ran with this story also inspired the pokemon sableye sableye so that's pretty cool uh because they the job like the looks just like the goblins basically um the story is also notable to ufologists and those who are into the paranormal because of the large number of witnesses we have like anywhere from 8 to 13 people claim to have seen this uh, a lot of adults some skeptics have said that they were probably drunk but, like I said, the mother, the person in charge of the house, banned alcohol from the grounds, and the police made no indication that they were drunk, which probably would have, they probably would have been like, nah, they were just like, had a little too much moonshine, like, they were seeing things. Also, like, most people listening, if not everyone listening to this, has been drunk before. Have you ever beer-dawdled aliens? Probably not. I don't know. Anyway. Another reason that this case is notable is because it wasn't just like a flash in the pan. You didn't just fleetingly see something out of the corner of their eyes. They didn't, um, this craft didn't like jet across the sky and then disappear, didn't land and then leave. This was sustained contact with aliens for four hours, allegedly. So we have a pretty decently sized group reporting sustained contact with a group of shiny, weird looking bulletproof animal or aliens that came from a spaceship with rainbow exhaust. And then police came investigated it um droves reporters and all this stuff and it's just like according to the police they didn't get the vibe that it was made up they didn't think that these were the type of people to make it up there were people that knew them didn't they were like it'd be really weird if they made this up be really out of character and uh one cop who's like also a medical medically trained in some way who was there, he took the pulse of one of the witnesses and said that the pulse was at 133 beats per minute. So, like, adding to the evidence that they were legitimately scared. 
But it's also like the story's so outlandish. It's pretty crazy. So it's just not super believable. But that was it was sixty six years ago. I'm not I've never been to I don't think I've been to Kentucky at least. And I haven't talked to any of these people, so how am I gonna make an, ass- an assessment? Use common sense, but also I'm gonna review what other people have said. So Project Blue Book apparently didn't make an official investigation of their own into this, but based on the reports from the military police that we mentioned earlier and um, other investigators, they said that it was a hoax, which is possible. But like I said, the family seemed to th- the police seemed to think it would be out of character for the family. They also the police also said that the family weren't the type to get the police involved with things anyway. If something happened, they would deal with it themselves, which is also partially why the police were afraid that it was just them shooting at people. They're not the people who are going to be like, hey, we have someone trespassing. You need to come help us. They're just going to shoot the trespasser. So them making up a story to go to the police when they don't want to go to the police for real things was seen as evidence that something happened. Uh, And it, it seems like one of those things where I always say a lot of the times it's like, these people are lying or it's real. Like, it's not beer goggles. It's not, um, like, a misidentification. It's these people saw this crazy thing or they're just making it up. But if it's not an outright lie and maybe they did misstate what they saw for something else, what could it be? Well, skeptics have said that, you know what kind of fits the description here? Great horned owls. Great horned owls are about the same size, that three to three and a half feet tall size range of the aliens, and they have the horn-like structures on their head, the feathers that would look like the large ears of the aliens. They have talons on their feet. Um, Skeptics have claimed that the wings could be mistaken for hands, and like the pointiness of the feathers would would be the talons. And the of course the eyes glow bright yellow, but. Owls aren't super aggressive. They're not really attacking a house for four hours. It's like it's not like the Suttons ran up onto the owl's like uh, nest and were getting attacked for four hours. Also, I don't know if you see an owl, you're not gonna think it's an alien if you keep seeing it for four hours, right? Also, the explanation for the UFO is that it might have been a meteor. It does seem that there was a meteor in the area. Other witnesses have claimed to have seen uh, something similar to Billy Ray Taylor with the rainbow exhaust. So, of course, skeptics are like meteor, shooting star type thing. And believers in this case have said, obviously, other people saw the same UFO. So that's a little, you know, that's a toss-up. We can't really weigh in on that one. So I guess the explanation would be like, they're worked up from seeing the UFO and just a little scared, maybe drunk, like people have said, and then, or both scared and drunk, and then the owls descend and things out of hand. They're scared, the adrenaline's pumping. And so the group hysteria sets in, and they believe that they saw these monsters. They, like, convince themselves that they were monsters and not owls. Still, like, it would be weird behavior for owls and out of character for owls to behave that way. So it's not, like, a super satisfying explanation, but it kind of works. It kind of works. A ufologist, Isabel Davis, investigated the Hopkinsville encounter in 1956, which was a year later, and she interviewed several witnesses multiple times and police and others who investigated the case. She had, like, a it's like a 185-page report that she did on this. And she's got, like, maps, she's got charts, she's got similar encounters in there. It's, like, very comprehensive. 
And she didn't agree with any of the potential explanations. She was just like, that owl thing seems far-fetched. I know the whole story's far-fetched, but like, you think these people who live in rural Kentucky are seeing owls? They don't know what an owl looks like? You think they just beer-toddled an entire incident like this? Where they made it up for no gain? The police didn't mention any alcohol. There are no feathers or anything noted. They shot the creatures and the creatures didn't die. They made a metal sound like a drum. Doesn't sound like owls. Davis also noted that uh, a hoax seemed out of territory for these people and that none of the people who have investigated it found evidence that indicated a hoax. It's just more that the story is so outlandish it couldn't be real. But there's no like physical evidence or inconsistencies in the stories that would indicate a hoax. But, you know, they didn't claim that they had bodies of these creatures or anything, so there wasn't a lot to hoax. It was just getting the story straight. Uh, Davis also indicates that the local newspaper was disdainful and that investigators, although she doesn't stipulate if these are, like, amateur people, reporters, or, like, police, um, they all issued statements of disbelief. Like, no one was really buying this story. And like I said, the people were ridiculed in town and eventually moved. That's an interesting story, right? There's, like, a lot going on there. I don't really know what to make of it. So definitely get out here. Give me your point of view on the Hopkinsville encounter. I think, I mean, I guess just based on how crazy it is, I'm going to say it probably didn't happen and it's probably made up for some weird reason. But I don't know that, like, I think it was probably if it didn't happen, which seems likely that it did not happen, it was made up. I don't think the owl explanation makes sense. But that's all for today. But this is an interesting case to me. Seems like a classic case of either these people are lying or that they encountered something truly paranormal, something truly beyond belief and explanation. I don't know for sure. I'm not really buying the whole horned owls, meteor, and fear add up to what the family told police and like how shook up they were. I think, you know, even if it was horned owls and fear, that the Suttons, they must have known that and embellished it. But the whole family embellishing the story and, like, getting their story straight and then, like, keeping the story straight years later, drawing the same creature, it's a lot. Like, it's a lot to get your to get right, you know? And it's also, like, why would they do this? They didn't know that the story would take off nationally. They, they're, like, I mean, we don't know that they're dumb, but they don't have books, newspapers, radio, TV, they don't have any of that stuff in their house. It's like, why would they know how the media works, you know? Um, They don't know that this story would work, and they just know that they're going to damage the reputation in town, and which is what happened. Like, they didn't really gain anything from this. So, I guess, just, like, tell me what you're thinking. Tell me what you're thinking out there. It seems to be just a made-up tale, but just because it's so unbelievable, you know? Anyway, as always, I like to close out these little ditties, these little podcasts, with some recommendations for you lovely people. So, one thing that I watched, I watched a few things, right? So, White Lotus finished. I don't know if it's as clever as it thinks it is, but it is, you know, it's an entertaining hour hour of TV every time. So, it's like six hours total. Pretty entertaining. Uh, very suspenseful. I don't know if it'll hold up when you're not waiting for a week for every episode, but I would recommend checking it out. 
another thing that I watched was the Suicide Squad, James Gunn, Tate on the uh, team. And I would say it's the good version of okay. Like, it's fine. It's nothing extraordinary. I don't, again, I don't think it's, uh, it's not as good as it thinks. But it's definitely an improvement on the first one, and just generally it's like, it's nice. I've also, I've carried on my habit of reading. I've been hitting the books still again. Got some good stuff. Um, I haven't, I've, I'm in like a weird, I've started like five books and need to just finish one and then ultimately all of them. So the most recent one that I finished is Iron Gold, which you already know I recommend that. That's a banger. Um, so good. And it just gets better every time with all the Dark Age nuggets and stuff in there. Great stuff. I am also rereading The Prince of Thorns by Mark Lawrence, which is the beginning of his like Broken Empire trilogy, maybe Saga, if you want to include some of his other words in that. And that is a dark, off-putting fantasy story. The good guy is kind of the bad guy at the same time, so that's kind of awesome. But I don't know if I quite recommend that story. I don't know if I recommend that book. I have to finish it before I can tell you guys for sure, but... I think I I can recommend it, but I don't know that I love it, if that makes sense. Here's something I can recommend, though, and this is evergreen content for me. It's on Amazon Prime. It's on Peacock. It's one of the greatest shows of all time. If you like comedies, if you like mysteries, if you're a fan of delicious flavor, and if you like hilarity, clever references, and just genuine good times and awesomeness, check out USA Network's original show, Psych. It's off the air. All the episodes are out. They got two movies as well, musical, and it's just an awesome show. The characters do suffer from flanderization at the end, but it's incredible. It's funny. It's like two separate shows almost. The first one's funny in like a serious, clever way, and the second one's half is just funny in like an outlandish, almost slapsticky way. But still, it's like it's more clever than that. It's by far my favorite show of all time, and obviously, because of that, huge recommend. Anyway, until next time, if you did what you're hearing, make sure you get out there, give us those five-star ratings and reviews, drop the feedback, all that good cheese. I'd also like to recommend here, a little surprise recommend for you, check out the podcast on Instagram at high-t underscore obsessed underscore podcast, and on Twitter at high-t-o podcast. Also, feel free to drop feedback on those and at the email as well. And the social media, especially the Instagram, is a good place to stay up to date on what's going on with the show, what I got planned, things of that nature. Um, also, I like to like bounce ideas out there, stuff like that. I'm going to tease a new idea probably tomorrow, probably Wednesday. And be like, hey, should we do this as a group, as a squad? I also do book reviews and memes on there. So, like I said, all good things, all in all. Until next time, get ready for an action-packed NFL preview. So, peace out, my fine feathered friends.